Welcome everybody to Summer School, a space for the woke, witty, and sometimes ratchet educator, for our educator allies who just want to get it right, for those who want the real inside scoop of the day-to-day -day joys and woes of working with black and brown children, families, and communities, for those who know black and brown educators are needed, multi-dimensional, and sometimes just petty as hell. So Amy Lee Hudson is a black mama. She raised six kids plus all the friends we brought around. She was the type of mama that even though we might have been a little tight on cash, I would have never known because I never went without. She signed me up for every experience, activity, and organization. She never missed a game, competition, graduation, or show. She throws a party of celebration for every little thing, no matter how big or small. She's that type of mama. But there was one night that I ain't know what type of mama I had. Now what I will say is that I never got whoopings. Shout out to my brother Lionel and my cousin Tiffany and Ruben that came before me and paid it all. Ha <laughs> ha, suckers. Anyway, I was a good kid. And when I did bad things, I just never got caught. So I always hated math in school. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care what y'all educators say about the narrative around math and kids, blah, blah, blah. I hated that shit. So I was in fifth grade working on long division or something. It had to be around 11 o'clock that night and I'm trying to finish my math homework. My mama was sitting next to me asking me questions about this math homework. Clearly, she nor I knew the answers to. So she asked me something and I threw the pencil and the papers across the table. Who knew I was going to glory over some math homework? You know whatever is within arm's reach of your mama, that's what you're gonna get. This night in the kitchen, it was an aluminum foil box. I can't remember if the foil roll was in there or not, but the strength behind it was powerful. Amy is one powerful woman. And if I were ever to get hit over the head again with an aluminum foil box, I would want it to be by my amazingly dope mama. Happy Mother's Day to all my mothers out there. It's time for professional development. Here we'll connect with the guests or I'll explore a topic that's meant to challenge our thoughts and sometimes just say the things we've all been thinking. Our guest today has worked at both private and public institutions of higher education. She has devoted over a decade of her life to advancing equity and access to marginalized and minoritized children and adults. This work is a passion of hers, born from her own experiences, overcoming barriers as she worked towards her college education. Her lifelong commitment is to advocate for Black women's access to quality education, financial independence, and positive representation in America. She is an alum of the Florida State University where she studied English and communications and the University of Southern California where she earned her Master's of Arts in Post-Secondary Administration and Student Affairs and her Doctorate of Education. Okay, doctor. Come on now. <laughs> in educational leadership, yes. Her research interests include Black women in leadership positions at historically white institutions and the microaggressions they've experienced 
that made their ascension to senior level positions difficult. She currently resides in Los Angeles and her hobbies include spending time with her friends and families, reading political think pieces written by women of color and watching documentaries and horror films. Welcome, Dominique Lysi Joseph Hager. Hey! Welcome! Thank you so much for having me, sis. So excited to have a doctor in the house. I mean, you know, I ain't trying to like toot my own horn or nothing, but... But toot, toot, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Look, before we get into this, I think folks will want to know, hell, I want to know about your research and like what you found regarding women of color and leadership positions and mm-hmm. you know higher education yeah. or really the lack thereof in in white institutions I, just mm-hmm. like a, a overview of like your overview. research and, and what you found is, is so interesting to me thank you um so this research was kind of born out of the idea that you know i got into education specifically in higher ed administration um because I remember being a college student and being assisted through, you know, those four years by other black women who were in that role. So it wasn't something that, you know, no one grows up and says, Oh, I want to work in higher ed administration. You don't know what that is. Right. Um, But I had the privilege of, you know, being supported throughout my undergraduate career, uh, uh, academic career by other black women. And so when I got into the field, I realized there were so many of us that were concentrated in entry-level positions. Mm. The main, we're the main ones on the front line who work with the students um, on a day-to-day basis, who run the student programming, who make sure that they are, you know, taking the appropriate courses, doing all of these other things, who run the, you know, cultural centers and blah, blah, blah. But then I also noticed the higher up the titles got, we disappeared. Hmm. And that really frustrated me um, as someone who, you know, was looking forward to like transitioning into those higher positions. I was really intrigued by like, what happens to us? How do we all, you know, end up so over-concentrated in these entry-level, mid-level positions and then completely disappear Mm -hmm. when it comes to senior level leadership. And so that's pretty much where my research kind of, um, you know, developed. And so um, I just completed a study where I interviewed about 15 different women, all black women um, who work at one institution. I can't name the institution though. Mm -hmm. They work at one institution in various departments. And essentially, I just asked them, you know, those no-holds-barred questions that, you know, we tend to have as Black women when we're talking to each other. Very transparent questions like, what are some of the microaggressions you faced in, in, your, in your workplace, in your work environment? And I was really not shocked <laughs> to find that a lot of the things that I had experienced, they had also experienced um, from just, you know, having their, their bodies policed. Mm. Um, you can't show this. You can't show that. You need to cover this. You need to cover that. Um, your hair. Oh, it's so nice. There's always the comments about the hair. Um, I think the thing that really stuck out to me, though, is we tend to think about, you know, of course, there's, you know, 
systemic racism all over the country, right? We know it's there in education. We know that these higher ed institutions were not founded with us in mind. We understand that. With that being said, though, what I, I found was really, really interesting is that all of these schools have this diversity mission statement all of a sudden, and yet we are still not given the same opportunities to advance. And those of us who do end up in positions of power still don't have the autonomy to make decisions on their own. They have to run their decisions Mm -hmm. by the person who hired them. They have to make sure that they have all their ducks in a row because they're going to be questioned at every turn. And so it's really my study really came to to discover that it's yes there's systemic racism but it's also um some racial battle fatigue that yeah. we're experiencing that kind of get us to a point where we're like do i do i want to keep going like why yeah so that's just an overview of what uh the study was about yeah, this idea about the racial battle fatigue, my goodness, mm-hmm. it's at every level. Every level. At every level. And um, it can be, of course, fatigue. It can be exhausting. But I feel like the the only way that we can overcome this is if more of us, you know, Absolutely. are in the battle and, and assume these positions of power to be able to d- mm-hmm. dismantle these systems that have been put mm-hmm. in place to keep us out. Yeah. Uh, but that's a hard battle to fight. And I feel like it's long and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, can you blame someone who says, you know what, this isn't for me. I yeah. I, I can't fight yeah. this battle anymore. And it, it's just tough. It's very tough. And that is also kind of what my study is meant to be. It's kind of like a love letter to mm-hmm. other Black women in education. Um, we end it on a high note where we are talking about the things that motivate us. We're talking about how to practice self-care truthfully. Um, And we also end it with um, just a list of things to do in their careers so that they are able to weather the storm and keep striving to get those positions of power Um, because it's necessary, it's needed. And I think far too often we play... um, we're a little bit reactive to, you know, some of the oppressive experiences we have. And this study is saying that we should stop reacting to um, oppressive and racist um, experiences. Mm -hmm. Stop reacting in ways that are anti-racist and instead go on the offense. And call it what it is. Yeah, You have to. Because so far, you know, the things that we do, the code switching, the um, just trying to make other people feel comfortable with our presence. I really don't think that's worked in our favor. And what do we have to lose? Yeah. So essentially, that's what it was. That we, we have to get out of the, the place where we are thinking that playing the game the way they want us to play it is going to result in us getting higher levels. Because we, we, we ain't got it there. We ain't, it ain't, we ain't got time we, no more. We ain't got no more time. We ain't got no more no. time. And we just need to be authentically ourselves Boom. and kick the dough down. 
and every that's feeling it. that that's that's trying to hold us hold us down. So thank you for that. That's just inspiring for me to to hear the work that you're doing is is it's amazing and definitely much needed. Thanks, sis. Much needed. Um, so we've been students, we've been educators, and we've experienced so many things uh, in our just tenure of of life. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you remember, if you have any stories that, you know, you look back like, did I really experience that? Or it just like tickled you you to your soul, like as an educator or as a student, do you have any of those stories? Okay. So I was thinking about this, um, just in kind of general thinking about all the things that I've experienced. I'm about to, you know, graduate, right? Um, Next week is like, I'm done. So, yay, yay, yay. <laughs> so thank you. That brought a lot of, re- like, brought a lot of reflection for me over these past years in the field and then also on the other side of the desk and, and being a student. And I have so many stories for you. And I was like, you know, I got to pick one to hook her in and then I'll just keep telling her more the more time she has me on the show. <laughs> so, um... I'm going to pick an experience I had in my master's program. Um, It was the strangest thing because it wasn't just like one experience. It was just like an amalgamation of fuckery, if you will. (laughs) Just it was like every day it was in this one specific class, which, believe it or not, was titled, I think, um, Politics of Difference. Okay. Right. That that was the name of the class. And it was just the strangest experience. Like it was maybe I'd say half of the class was black um, or Latinx. And then everybody else was white. And the level of <laughs> the interesting like characters that were in there it was just way too much. First of all, we had a professor who I think it was her first class and politics of difference. You're talking about oppression. You're talking yeah. about racism. You're talking about sexism. You're talking about, you know, um, LGBTQ rights. You're talking about all of these things, which can be really touchy topics. And so when you have someone who probably never taught a class before getting there with like people with these personalities, like I have, mm-hmm it becomes a learning lesson for for you as a, as a professor. So there was that. But I remember one day in particular, um, me and some of the other black students, we got together and we were just like, I'm tired of teaching this class because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. You become, you know, token and you have all of these white students that are afraid to say anything or just don't care. And so they don't even engage. And so the professor is having these conversations with us. And we were just like, I'm tired of teaching the class. So we say, you know what? Let's go on strike. We're not going to say shit. We're not going to say anything. I don't give a damn. Like, I don't care if she says, how was your weekend? I don't care if she says, um, I wanted to talk to you about the paper you wrote. We're not saying shit. We had a pact. 
Girl, we went in there and it was the most cringe-worthy class. Mind you, it's a it's a master's class. So it's like two hours and 30 minutes. Yep. And we are sitting in there and she is like trying her hardest. Like her voice is quivering. Aww. She's like, what? What's going on? And we were just sitting there waiting for the white kids to speak up. One gentleman decided he was going to speak. And he had a question for us. Not even the professor. It was for the Black students in class. I forgot what the topic was for that day. But anyway, we somehow got on the subject of, um, you know, like using gender, like which pronouns do you prefer? Mm -hmm. Putting those on your LinkedIn page. So this one um, white gay male who I believe is Jewish from a prominent family in New York. Mm -hmm. He says, well, I have a question and maybe you guys can answer it um, <laughs> since you haven't been talking today. Um, this is him. Yeah. Very, you know, very not aware of himself. He says, um, my housekeeper was from the Bahamas. And so growing up, she always talked in this like Bahamian, like patois type um, lingo. And I was wondering if it would be okay if I put on my LinkedIn profile that I'm fluent in English, Hebrew, and Bahan patois. <laughs> and I tell you, all of oh. us in, like all the black students in the my. class are like, are you fucking serious? Are you fucking serious? Did so, how did y'all react? What? Sis, I, I didn't say anything because I stuck to the pact. Okay? <laughs> I just gave him a dirty look like... What? One of um, my friends did say something. She said, and I quote, Are you asking me? And she looks around at, you know, all the other black students. And he's like, I mean, well, maybe because you're the only one that's responding. And she says, I don't give a fuck what you put on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile. And it just became this whole, like, drama in class. And the teacher ended up, like, ending the class early because she was like, what? this is real hostile. And I don't know. Yo, I, I can relate to that moment almost mm -hmm. like vividly in my master's program at a Girl. at a at a school mm -hmm. and it was one of those <laughs> it was one of those moments where everybody was just like <gasps> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and it's just mm -hmm. like you don't know what to do and I look back on it and it's hilarious now but in that moment boy you could have you could have cut that tension in that classroom. It was thick. It was yes. thick. It was mm -hmm. thick. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for sharing. Oh my You're god! Awesome. I just it, it, and the thing is, that's just that one class with you. Yeah. Imagine the how many courses, classes, whatever that are happening across this country where you have mm -hmm. these dumbass mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm conversations and thoughts and they go unchecked by the right. professor about whomever and these folks mm -hmm. are graduating with their masters and educating some 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 and going mm -hmm. in, to influence some other system and it's just it was a ooh. lot of rampant 
problematic statements mm. like that mm. that were made mm. that oh girl yeah you look back on it and you laugh but in the moment like you're sitting there and you're like how are we in the same program how who read this application is what i want to know and what did you say on this application because i'm confused wow i was very confused by him and he ended up not even going into education i think he's a actor slash tennis player okay yeah, so maybe he was doing it, you know, just to prove that he moved to L.A. for a purpose. I don't know. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah. that's something else. Um, so what values of motherhood do you find most applicable to careers in education? Oh, God, this is definitely something that came up in my research. Um Wow. So naturally, I feel like most Black women are just very supportive and and like natural born caregivers. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. In the sense that we love with our whole selves and and we don't separate the two. Um, So I, I definitely think that some of the qualities of being a mom that we use also in the field of education is just, you know, being supportive, being patient, um, being reliable, um, protective even, um, problem solving, like all of the skills that I needed as a parent, I had already been using to some degree in my Mm -hmm. career. Um, just, you know, loving people, loving people and and my job and my work with my whole self and putting my all into, into that experience. And so I felt like it was naturally transferable into, you know, putting all of that into this, this person who's going to be a part of, you know, my life forever. So I would say those are the values. And it's interesting because I almost feel like once I started applying those, you know, those values that I had already been putting into my work into my child, I realized how much of an investment I'm really making yeah. of myself, of my time, of my my own mental effort, right? Yep. And then that produced questions, sis. Well, I was like, wait a minute. If I've been doing what I'm doing with my child with thousands of kids, uh-huh. thousands of young adults. I'm not getting paid enough for this shit. Yep. <laughs> like, honestly, it was one of those real moments where, where I was just like, I, I lose sleep worrying about them. I am working overtime for them. I'm doing all of these things. And somehow this paycheck is just not equating mm-hmm. to that. How do you like, how do you balance that, that, that tension though because working in education is a labor of love and that's mm-hmm. that's one that you're gonna pour like you don't have a choice if you're doing it right you don't have a choice but to pour your heart into it uh mm-hmm. creativity innovation you have to like there's so many elements you bring into being a, a quality educator mm-hmm. but you have you have your your own little people that you need to, right. to pour into um, at home. 
and you, yeah. you want to be the best educator possible and you want to be the best mother possible. I just, mm-hmm. I feel that, or some feel like, you know, maybe something's going to suffer at one point. Yeah. Um, or yeah. you feel as though you may have to leave the the profession mm-hmm. of, of education, maybe because it's ment- so mentally taxing or emotionally uh-huh. taxing so that you can pour into your, your little one. But some of us love our work so much, you don't want to leave. So how do you like balance that tension? You know, that is a question that uh, I had last year. So last July, um, I thought 2019 was just, you know, the worst year ever. And I'll be 100% honest with you because that was the first time I felt like I had completely lost myself in all aspects of my life Mm. as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter, as an employee, as a friend. Like I was juggling so many balls at the same time that I just, I felt like I was dropping all of them. Mm. And it was a really tough time for me because, you know, I I had just returned back to work after maternity leave. I was suffering from postpartum depression. Um, There was just so many stressors at work. So many people had left. It was just, you know, a lot of different things that I was getting put on my plate. Um, My dad was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. So he had a number of surgeries daycare concerns and then I think the straw that really broke the camel's back for me um besides you know being a full-time student as well was uh I had a colleague who unfortunately um committed suicide Mm. and I just lost it I remember and this I have never told anyone but I'll tell it to you (laughs) I remember one day in particular You know, I was walking into the building and normally I would listen to like some Nipsey Hussle, right? Mm -hmm. Because that would like kind of help me get through the day. Like I was listening to Nipsey Hussle's Young Niggas. I walk into the building. I'm like completely like dressed to the nines. Like I'm going in the building. Shit's going to be great. It's going to be a great day. Me and this black woman were walking in together and we, you know, said hi to each other. Somewhere along the lines that day, I just remember I was reading an email and it was asking me for like one more thing. And I just, I couldn't breathe. I was like struggling to even comprehend what I had read. And I just felt like, oh my God, I have to like unzip this dress. I have to like, like something innate was just like, you have to get out. You have to get out of here. And so I remember like unzipping the dress. I didn't take it off. I wasn't like, you know, naked or anything, but I unzipped it and I was trying to catch my breath. And I remember just running out of the building and I sat on um, a bench that was kind of outside in the front. And I was just trying to catch my breath. And I felt like I was literally dying. And who would happen to walk past but the same black woman who I walked in with? And she says to me, oh, you look like you need a break. And I just remember thinking like, oh, shit, I think I'm having a mental breakdown. Like, this is this is too much. 
And I think it was Audre Lorde who said, you know, black women have a tendency to want to be all things to all people at all times. And that's me paraphrasing. Um, But I think in that moment, I realized I can't. I can't do it anymore. And something had to give. And when I really sat down and like took, like like audited my everyday life and, and what I was giving of myself, the only thing I could compromise on was my career. I couldn't stop being a great mom or being a great wife or being a great daughter or being a great friend or, you know, stop with my education. Like none of that was was stopping for me. And so I ended up putting in my two weeks notice. Wow. I don't even think I gave them two weeks, sis. I think I, I gave them like a week and a half. It was like before Fourth of July weekend. Wow. I was like, I'm, I'm out. And I left. And so since that point, I have been a full-time mom slash full-time, you know, grad student slash adjunct faculty member. Mm-hmm. And and also just, you know, getting therapy so that I can get myself mentally and emotionally ready to go back into to that space. Wow. Um, first, thank you for sharing. Uh, I can only imagine uh, just having to relive and kind of retell that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is... It's energizing to kind of share mm-hmm. that that because it's that vulnerability is gonna really light a spark for someone else and mm-hmm. give them the courage to to make a decision for self mm-hmm. and not for others and yeah. and you know our own well being as opposed to trying to be everything to everybody all the damn time and it is not yes. possible. It's not yes. possible. And we get to the brink, to the edge before we realize it without mm-hmm. taking stock along the way. We, mm-hmm. we got to check in with ourselves when, when we're doing this work um, and all this heavy lifting all the time. Or we, we find ourselves with our, our dress unzipped and on a bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you, yeah. Yeah. You, you really hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, That's exactly what it was. It mm-hmm. sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Because we're so used to being stressed, like being black, being a woman, like all of that intersectionality in itself is a stressful existence. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I wouldn't trade any of that. You know what I mean? But we got to be honest, it's stressful in itself. Like it's hard for us to just exist knowing that, you know, there's so many racist, misogynistic, patriarchal things that exists to keep us, you know, subservient to, to others. And um, I just, that on top of these other experiences that I shared with you, it, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can't look at the news and see a, another young Black man killed for no reason and not have it affect us emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even if we're not related to that person, even if we don't live in that state, like you see that and you see your brothers, your uncle, your husband, you see that, you know what I mean? So that on top of these other experiences, it just, 
it, it's too much sometimes. And we often give so much of ourselves that we don't even know that there's nothing left, that we've been running on fumes yeah. until your body just checks out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess so. I think for you, you had the that that moment for you, that defining moment where it's like, yep, this is the time that I have. I'm making a decision. I'm making this a decision for me because I don't want to compromise being a great mom, wife mm-hmm. or daughter. Right. What advice would you give to uh, a woman, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a, an educator and that's mm-hmm a mom who's who's struggling right now, right? Struggling mm-hmm. with this balance and they don't know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to leave the, their profession and education, but they know mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's draining, especially the time we're in right now. You're yeah. having to put in a lot more oomph into, mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. what you're doing to even engage with your students. Yeah. Um, and then... On top of that, you're at home doing that with a little one or several children, and you, yeah. you have to balance that. So for yeah. somebody who's trying to figure out what gives right now, what just words of encouragement or advice would you give them? I would first say um, you have to talk to somebody. And I know, you know, we're, we're getting past that point where there's a stigma mm-hmm. and, you know, mental health services and all of that in our community. We're getting past that. And that makes me really happy. But I think there are some people who, you know, probably still struggle with not just that stigma, but also finding the time, making sure you can find someone who is African-American to speak to, because that's important, too. Yes, it is. They can't just be anybody because they're going to prescribe you with something. And the next thing you know, you're you're back in the same situation mm-hmm. a couple months later. Um, so I would say, you know, check in with your girlfriends. So much of the strength that we have as Black women comes from our ability to connect with other Black women because you can literally say things without saying things. Mm-hmm. That is kind of how I recognize, besides my mental breakdown in itself, that something was off about me. You know, having my best friend say, you like you need a drink mm-hmm. or come over tonight. I'll watch the baby, you know, things like that. Like they knew in their spirit yeah. something wasn't right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I would say talk to your girlfriends, do check ins with them. And then this is really hard <laughs> for us to do. But we have to put ourselves first. We have to, we have to put ourselves first. And it is the hardest thing because you're not accustomed to that. We're not accustomed to that. But sometimes you you really do have to just send the baby with their daddy or whoever, and you get up and you leave and you just get you some peace and some mental clarity where you're doing something for yourself and yourself only. And I mean that in the purest form. Yeah. I don't mean, oh, I'm going to take a day off from work or I'm going to work from home. And then you answering emails while you're getting your feet done. That's not self-care. <laughs> <laughs> That's multitasking. Right. No. <laughs> Do something for you and you alone. Because when you're by yourself and you're not thinking about the kids, you're not thinking about whether they're your biological kids or not. You're not thinking about the people that depend on you. You're only thinking about yourself. And in that moment, that's when you start to look at your life 
and what you want out of it. And I think, you know, even though Black women, we we have this very unique position in society where, you know, a lot of people ignore us. They don't really think that, you know, I don't know what, what their issue is, but a lot of people ignore the greatness that, that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think to a certain extent, that makes us all the more um, susceptible to not taking care of ourselves. Because it's always that, you know, outside looking in kind of perspective. So I think we need it the most. We need self-care the most. And we shouldn't feel bad about it. We shouldn't feel like something is going to fall through the cracks. Um, And just by us taking care of ourselves, think about the joy that that would bring in the other work that we do. If I'm happy with me, my child is happy with me. Even if she doesn't get what she wants all the time, my husband is happy with me. My my students are happy with me. My family's happy with me because they have no choice but to be. Yeah. Because I'm happy with me. Yeah. That's, so that's I would. Good. That's that's my advice. That's that's good because I'm sitting here thinking I, I'm not even a mother, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I. It's hard being being young and being a newlywed and uh Uh leading a school and sometimes I can't even identify what makes me happy (laughs) like I don't even even know like what brings me joy it's just I get up every day and it's like that Uh same routine I get up I check my emails I do this Uh I have to run to the school I have to respond here I come home maybe we cook maybe we talk for an hour or two then I'm in bed I'm working some more and it's Uh just like this routine this process yeah. To the point where, and you know, this is me being vulnerable and just being mm-hmm. 100% raw and candid because that's what we do here on the Summer School Podcast. Right. I don't even know if I want to have children because mm-hmm. of how it's going to impact my career or because I'm scared about how it's going to impact my career. And my husband's sitting here like, girl, you a, you a whole fool. You're going to give me some kids. But <laughs> I, that's something that is, that terrifies me that if I yeah. start to have children, like, am I still going to be this impactful, successful school leader? Like, yeah, how am I going to juggle this? Like, I can't even fathom it right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm terrified of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, just this whole idea of, being a mother, but also being an amazing educator is something that's hard for me to reconcile right now. Well, I will tell you this. Um, I think motherhood, it, it definitely changes you. You would not be the same person that you are right now, that you've become accustomed to, that you are familiar with. Like there is this whole battle that happens with you after you become a mom where you're changing, your priorities are changing, your goals are changing, and you're still trying to hold on to that person that you worked so hard to to accept. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you get to that place where you're like, well, shit, that doesn't fit me anymore. Who am I? What Like there's this whole existential crazy <laughs> crisis that happens with motherhood. 
But honestly, you come out the other end of it so much better, so much more well-rounded. And you become a better educator because you know, deep in your heart of hearts, now what it means to be a parent and how you want the world to look for mm-hmm. your child mm-hmm. and for others, other other children. And so I don't want you to worry so much that like it's going to completely change you because it is 100 yeah. percent. But it'll be for the better. I promise it's for the better. Okay. Well, now, <laughs> now as far as pay is concerned. You might have to do a little bit more fighting, oh, uh, wow. not necessarily fighting, but a little bit more um, mental gymnastics yeah. with your with employers because there is such thing as a mommy tax, and mm. it's just that you know misogynistic, antiquated view of okay, if a male who has kids applies for a position, they're going to pay him more, they're going to try and pay him more because they feel like he has to take care of the home, whereas wow. a woman. They try to kind of lowball us because they think we're going to need more time off. We're going to need this. We're going to need maternity leave, all of these other things. Mm. So, yeah, mentally in the workplace, you'll probably be fighting more uphill battles after motherhood. And I I know you're you're getting ready to get get degreed up again in a week. Mm -hmm. Um. And you're working as an adjunct and now we're in the midst of this pandemic. And of course, number one priority, you're, you're a mom. So during this, how have you been just impacted by, and I'm going to say pandemic by, you know, thinking about COVID-19, but we're also dealing with our very own pandemic of being these black women (laughs) and having to be, this week was really hard for me. Um, and just the news coverage of another young black man, uh, Mm -hmm. being taken from us almost three months ago and and just finding out about it and just finding out about it. Um, and so senselessly and with these, um, folks who feel like they are the rule and justice of, of this world Mm -hmm. and able to, to snatch another life. So it is a lot has been going on. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I would love to hear from you. How, how have you been dealing with with everything that's been been going on? How have you been in, impacted? I'm going to tell you something that I hope makes sense. And I hope that your viewers and your listeners get where I'm coming from. Um, but you kind of touched on it when you said, you know, like we're in our own pandemic in itself as Black women. Um So with the postpartum depression and anxiety and all that stuff that I was going through and, you know, seeking therapy for that, I was talking with my therapist like two weeks ago and she was, you know, surprised that I was doing better. And she Hmm. was like, you know, I think the world outside looks how you feel inside. And so you're adjusted to that. Mm. So you have so many people who are scared and worried about, you know, COVID-19, as they should be. It's this new thing, this new virus that, you know, all over the world, people are trying to come to terms with. We have all these issues going on in our government. We have 
all of these uh, international relationships breaking down or, or building up, there's so much uncertainty right now in the world. And for the most part, I feel fine because I live that <laughs> as yeah. a black woman every fucking day. Yeah. So it's kind of like everybody. You have you ever seen that that cartoon where it's the dog sitting in the house and I think he's like reading a paper, and it, the house is on fire uh-huh. and he's like, "Oh, this is fine. I'm fine." That's how I feel. Black women feel right now. Yep. They're like, "Okay, what happened um, with this young man who was senselessly murdered? That's something we're passionate about. That we, you know, are going to fight until the end for. But it's not new." This is Trayvon all over again. This is, these are things that we, that the media might've forgotten about that they don't talk about anymore, but we still have those emotional scars. And so honestly, I'm just like chilling because I really feel like when everything hits the fan, we're going to be the last people standing. And by we, I mean black women. Yeah. No shade to the brothers, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm talking about us right now. Yeah. 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 Oh, child. So this, much. It's rough. Yes, yes. I am excited for us to, to navigate through our letter from an educator today. So I'm going to read this, this letter, and I would love to get your take on it, um, your expertise okay. here. So... I am a high school counselor and I am absolutely terrified for my students. If you thought the achievement gap was significant before, I dread when students actually come back to quote unquote normal schooling. Right now we're at about 60% daily attendance with remote learning. Students rarely submit assignments or attend teacher office hours. I must say teachers are really going above and beyond right now, but students and families aren't being very responsive. We gave out Chromebooks and internet, but this pandemic is really about to impact our already marginalized communities. What Uh can we do? What should we prepare for when we return? Uh Mm. I am living this right now, uh, I I must say. Uh, And I share a lot of these same sentiments. Yeah, We were just in a conversation in my district with all the principals and assistant principals about like these four different options of what school is going to look like in the fall. And I'm sitting here like, I can't even wrap my mind around distance learning and a hybrid model of them coming to school one day a week. And then when they are in school, what does that Uh look like with having 30 kids here and spread out? It it, it was all these different things wrapped in my mind. And I'm like, we've been out of school, what, two, three months now. Uh-huh, then uh-huh. you add on the summer, the summer uh-huh. dip that's going to happen. And then we bring them back in the fall. And it's like, I'm starting with ninth grade all over again. Right. But, but you but, and, and are you even bringing them back completely in the fall? Because we're supposed to have another wave of... Exactly. Right. Exactly. So for like... Education has to be revamped in some type of way. We have to Uh be very creative on how we're still getting students, A, to be responsive, um, Uh Uh keep putting rigorous curriculum and and work in front of our students, 
And then think about their social emotional well being as uh-huh. well. Because some of them are in homes all day long, maybe with eight people in the house, and you're trying to yeah. listen yeah. to the teacher teaching, and you're trying to do an assignment. It's I I'm scared about yeah. how I have ninth graders that won like a fourth fifth grade reading level, and now uh-huh. what what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. So I, yeah. I I didn't even help this this educator, but I'm I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. Um, Girl, we all lost. So oh, God. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, first I I commend you and the the um the the person who sent in the letter because I think these kinds of conversations or at least thought that this thought process needs to be happening at a time like this. Honestly, though, I do feel as though, you know, we have to tackle this not from that deficit perspective of, you know, what the students need to be doing to stay on track, but from that, like, that, that, that perspective of what can we as a nation who has consistently taken money from the education budget, what can we be doing to, like, fill those gaps that are already in place. And to be quite honest, I look at, you know, this pandemic, at least in terms of the education, educational perspective, as this could be our opportunity to really try and get that education reform on and popping. Yeah. Because we had a lot of issues prior to this happening. The fact that you have ninth graders who were reading at a fourth and fifth grade level, that in itself is something that's a gap that needs to be addressed. The standardized testing and how that further marginalizes our students and puts them behind. Um, The fact that we have 30 students in a classroom that makes it a lot more difficult for them to get the, you know, one-on-one differentiated learning that's necessary for a lot of them. Like there's so many things that, you know, this is kind of giving us the opportunity to kind of advocate for change and, I think now is the perfect time for those of us who are, you know, thinking about the greater good of our students. It's the time for us to kind of step up and be like, listen, this old antiquated way of teaching does not work anymore. We can't keep looking at our students as if they're these empty glasses. I think Paolo yeah. Freda said that the banking method, we can't just keep pouring, you know, knowledge into these students as if they don't have anything to, to give back. We really have to think about how we're going to change and teach in a more 21st century dynamic, um, dynamic way of, 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 of learning. Yeah. And so I don't think I answered Sis's question either. That's, that's all right. <laughs> but, you know. Because we, we don't I, know right now, but what we do know is we can't keep doing the same stuff over We can't. We can't. We really can't. And I and I do think that just the fact that you guys are thinking about this now and how, you know, even though you're on one side of the desk and I'm on the other in terms of higher ed, mm-hmm. the impact is going to be felt throughout. Mm-hmm. Like there are going to be universities who probably have to close because yeah. they just can't can't meet the you know demand of 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 the students. It's it's rough. It's a rough situation. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> my- <laughs> 
So I need all, all my my educators out there. We need to come Please. together, get a think tank going. Let's on do it. What, what we need to do differently to to shake this whole shit up and come right. out of this on the other end. Shake just, the table. Look, shake the, the table. <laughs> Seriously, like this is our our chance. This is our it opportunity is. to get something different out there mm-hmm. for for our students. Um, mm-hmm. and I encourage. Any listener out there, uh, send in some ideas. Let's let's get something mm-hmm. going. Let's let's collaborate and start really piloting some innovative, something new, yes. something different to reach yes. our students because that's what they need right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we know mm-hmm. what they were before they left the actual building, and now they're yeah. in a a totally different you know mindset when it comes to education. So we we need to be able to meet them where they are. Um, but Doctor, Doctor oh. Dominique, I am. That sounds so strange. <laughs> here at somebody say that. Yes, Doctor, you better you better get used to it, okay? You know. So we I'm here. We we want to say congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. I'm sure Jesus. it was a lot of hard work, late nights, yeah. and blood, sweat, and tears. But mm-hmm. you are an example and a model for so many of us. You've inspired me so much through this conversation uh, today, and I thank you for your time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I think what you're doing is beyond amazing. Um, It's something that is refreshing, and especially for those of us who work in administrative, whether you're at K-12 or the higher ed level, you know, we don't really get to have these conversations in public, you know? We have these conversations over the phone or via text message. And so to be able to have this kind of outlet, to at least listen and then to like ask questions, hey, how would you deal with this? Or what do you think about this? I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. And I I wish you much success with this podcast. It could turn into low key, high key, like a TV show. Oh. A reality show or something. Come on now. I would watch it. Look, man, the people only knew. Thank y'all for joining us on the Summer School Podcast. If something stood out to you in our conversation today, if there's a topic you would like for us to explore, or hell, even if you're a woke, witty, or petty educator and want to be featured, drop us a line at info at the summerschoolpodcast.com.